everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. For now, I'm a little bit concerned about this upcoming weekend, because I just found myself saying one of the most ridiculous sentences I have ever said. And if you listen to this show, you know that's a heck of a claim. But I was looking at the weather forecast for this upcoming week, and I found myself saying, oh geez, according to the meteorologists, it's supposed to be 109 degrees this weekend. Now, that sentence is ridiculous for a few fairly obvious reasons. First of all, 109 degrees is not a real temperature. Unless maybe you live on Mercury. I mean, I feel like even if you lived on Venus, once it reaches like 106, you're like, eh, you know what? Just to be safe, we better throw another priest into the volcano, because I think the gods are pissed at us. Sorry if I'm coming across as being reductive about Venusian culture. I know that human sacrifices to angry volcano gods is only a part of their society. They also have an excellent education system, in part because of their very progressive tax structure. But the point is, 109 degrees is a ridiculous fucking temperature. What's more ridiculous is the idea of saying that it's supposed to be 109. It is clearly never supposed to be 109. The only context in which anyone should ever say it's 109 is if someone asks them, we're up to the eighth sequel of 101 Dalmatians. How many dogs are in this one? Then you could say, it's 109. I'm assuming they add one dog every movie. But the other, maybe less obvious, ridiculous part of that sentence is the word meteorologist. That is a very flashy name for a weather forecaster. Thinking about meteors is such a small percentage of their job. I mean, I know it's flashy, but how often does it actually come up? Yes, if a giant meteor is about to crash into the earth and destroy us all, I would think that the weather forecasters would inform us about that, but that's a pretty small percentage of their day-to-day -day compared to the amount of time they spend, I don't know, describing that a little line covered with mailboxes and triangles means occluded front. Calling yourself a meteorologist because of that would be like if you were a sanitation worker and somebody asked you what your job title was, and you're like, oh, I'm a rescuer of babies who accidentally fall into trash cans. I mean, yes, if that situation did come up, it would probably be part of your job to deal with it, but that's not what you get to put on your resume. The other ridiculous part of my sentence, of course, is the fact that as a grown man living in the year 2021, I do still routinely start sentences by saying, oh geez. Anyway, if anyone feels like tossing a Venusian priest into a volcano for me, I'd appreciate it, because 109 degrees is just too goddamn hot. Now, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by James Satter. The Titans formed when they were teens, by now they're pushing 20. Their tales are ever timeless, with synopsises aplenty. Thanks, James. New Teen Titans, Volume 2, Number 42, April 1988. 
Child of Blood. Written by Marf Wolfman, trotted by Eduardo Barreto, inked by Romeo Tangal, lettered by Albert de Guzman, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Barbara Randall. Teen Titan Roll Call, Wonder Girl, Nightwing, Starfire, Cyborg, Beast Boy, Jericho, Raven, and Danny Chase. Previously in New Teen Titans. An indeterminate amount of comic book time ago, the Titans won a decisive victory over the Church of Blood, an evil organization run by a supposedly septicentenarian but secretly seventh-generation single-centenarian cult leader named Brother Blood. Raven used her magical nonsense powers to remove Blood's magical nonsense powers, and the perfidious pontiff slunked off into the hills of Virginia to live as a shepherd in a monastery. The church's second-in-command, malevolent Major Domo Mother Mayhem, was arrested and taken to Star Labs. The malicious matriarch was pregnant with Brother Blood's child, and the scientists at Star Labs wanted to study whether Blood's quasi-mystical bullshittery was going to be genetically passed down to his as-yet-unborn offspring. Soon after Mayhem's apprehension, an evil master of disguise and unculate enthusiast decided to adopt the nom de guerre Wildebeest, dress up like a gnu, and frame Starfire for murder. Due to Dick's diligence as a detective, the scheme ultimately failed, but Wildebeest escaped to graze the wicked grass on the plains of evil another day. That day came sooner than the Titans had expected, as a few weeks later, the horn-headed hood busted into Star Lab's research facility and kidnapped Mother Mayhem. Oh no! The insidious antelope aficionado then went about assembling a not-so-super group of Z-list minor Titans foes. First, Wildebeest recruited Puppeteer, a creepy inventor who specialized in creating remote-control robotic murder puppets. Then the two villains broke into the prison at Rikers Island and bolstered their ranks further by freeing a trio of low-status, powered no-goodniks. In addition to Wildebeest and the Puppeteer, the Gnu crew now boasted such illustrious members as Gizmo, a diminutive technomancer who used to pal around with a fearsome five, Disruptor, an insecure daddy's boy in a fancy suit, and one of the three guys who were once collectively known as Trident. Forces of good beware. The Titans leapt into action to combat this fearsome new force. Nightwing began delegating duties, assigning Beast Boy, Cyborg, and Danny Chase the task of engaging the GNU crew directly, while Jericho and Raven were to go down to the police station and act as law enforcement liaisons. Meanwhile, Nightwing, Starfire, and Wonder Girl were to go undercover in some capacity in an attempt to ferret out exactly what Wildebeest and his motley crew of mediocre malefactors were up to. Back at the GNU crew's headquarters, Wildebeest confronted a decidedly uncooperative Mother Mayhem and revealed that for the past several months he had been doing some undercover work himself at Star Labs, posing as the pregnant priestess's doctor, the kindly old chain-smoking obstetrician, Dr. Vincent Ellis. Gadzooks! Will precocious new Titans recruit Danny Chase display any new powers in this issue? In what sort of undercover work will Dick, Donna, and Coriander engage? And just what is Wildebeest's fiendish plan anyway? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, yes, in addition to his skills as an international super spy with telekinetic powers and a photographic memory, Danny now also has some high-tech gadgets. 
continuing to wear their costumes as they visit a friend in the hospital. And he doesn't have one. Or does he? No, he doesn't. Except possibly the plan to fool the Titans into thinking he has the plan that he doesn't have. But that doesn't really count as a plan. Unless it does. Man, fuck that guy. Gizmo, Disruptor, and the guy who used to be one-third of Trident, so from now on I'm just gonna call him Tyne, are flying over New York City on some fancy hover discs. Disruptor is like, Hey, didn't Puppeteer used to be part of the GNU crew? What happened to him? Tyne is like, Oh yeah, I think he did. Guess he must have gotten murdered or quit or fallen asleep or something. Oh well, let's go rob a jewelry store. The fork-wielding felon smashes a store window and Gizmo starts hoovering up all the jewels with a souped-up vacuum cleaner. Everything seems to be going according to lack of plan, but then Beast Boy, Cyborg, and Danny fucking Chase show up and interrupt the grab half of the GNU crew's attempted smash and grab, which is arguably the more important half. Gizmo tells Disruptor and Tyne to fend off the Titans while he secures the loot. Tyne isn't crazy about this plan, and thinks to himself that he'll probably try to murder Gizmo pretty soon. Disruptor thinks to himself, Why doesn't my daddy love me? Also, I think Gizmo just said something. Despite their misgivings, murderous inclination, and unrelated familial concerns, both villains end up following Gizmo's orders. Tyne goes after Danny while Disruptor attacks Cyborg. During the battle, Disruptor gets so confused that in his inner dialogue about how much his dad sucks, he inadvertently refers to himself as Paul, despite the fact that his name is Michael, thus proving that Disruptor is so insignificant that even he can't be bothered to remember his name. While the other Titans are occupied with their respective opponents, Beast Boy goes after Gizmo. The larcenous Lilliputian pauses his villainous vacuuming long enough to ensnare Gar in a high-tech rocket net then resumes sucking up stolen goods. Once the booty has been secured, the diminutive do-batter tries to make his escape, but is snagged by Danny's telekinesis. Beast Boy turns into a bear and bonks the tiny tech wizard on the noodle and knocks him out. Danny and Vic are about to snag the other two members of the GNU crew, but Disruptor breaks a bunch of glass and the heroes are forced to use their combined powers to prevent the flying shards from harming any bystanders. In the resulting confusion, Tyne and Disruptor make their getaway. Meanwhile, Dick, Donna, and Coriander are at the hospital visiting their pal from the police force, Captain Hall. Hall was recently shot in the pages of the 50th issue of a Titan spin-off series starring world's worst district attorney Adrian Chase, who apparently had a spin-off series that lasted more than 50 issues. What the fuck? Does Jack Norris have a TV series I'm unaware of? Is there an Elf with a Gun movie in the works? After being assured that Captain Hall is on the road to recovery, the gang heads down to the cafeteria for a snack. Nightwing starts speculating aloud as to what Wildebeest's plan might be. The contemplative crime fighter is like, Whatever he's planning is probably really complicated, but also super simple and only complicated to distract us from how simple it is. Or, it seems simple, but is secretly really complicated and just looks simple. Unless it isn't. But it's one of those. Probably. Hey, have I ever mentioned that I was trained by the world's greatest detective? Before Dick is given the opportunity to further demonstrate his canonically formidable powers of deductive reasoning, his beeper starts going off, informing him that Vic and Danny would like a hand chasing down the disruptor in time. Dick, Donna, and Starfire put down their cups of coffee 
and head off to help their friends. Across town at the police station, Raven and Jericho are interrogating a low-level street crook who has been telling everyone who will listen that he is best friends with Wildebeest. Raven pops into his soul and takes a stroll down his memory lane. Turns out, he's full of shit about knowing Wildebeest, but he's also full of pain and guilt about what a turd he's been his whole life. Raven offers to use her powers to fix his brain and make him happy and well-adjusted, but for some reason the crook's lawyer objects to having an unofficial representative of the state permanently alter his client's psyche as part of an investigation. Lawyers. Raven is like, Yeah, I guess I get that. Still, it's so tempting to use my powers to meddle with people's souls and make them happy. You're so lucky you were never tempted to use your creepy powers in a way that could potentially rob people of their agency, right, Jericho? Jericho doesn't get a chance to answer because just then, his titan signal starts going off, informing them that their teammates would like to have a word. Raven teleports them downtown to where the rest of the gang has already gathered. Nightwing tells Beast Boy to take Gizmo back to the Titan Tower for questioning, while the rest of the team goes after the remaining members of the GNU crew. Gar isn't too stoked about this assignment, and is even less stoked when Danny starts giving him shit about it. The precocious polymath is like, Huh, seems like I'm way more important to the team than you are. Weird. Must suck for you. Maybe in the next issue we'll find out I can also turn into animals better than you. I mean, I've never tried before, but it wouldn't surprise me if I could do that too. You know what, Danny? Me either. Despite having turned into a bird large enough to carry Cyborg around on several occasions, Gar decides that Gizmo is too heavy for him to transport, so he hails a cab and escorts his pint-sized prisoner to the Titan's T-shaped skyscraper. When they arrive, he strips down the compact criminal down to his skivvies to ensure that he isn't hiding a lockpick, and handcuffs him to whatever the high-tech superhero equivalent of a radiator is. Then he rushes off to rejoin his fellow Titans. As soon as Gar leaves the room, Gizmo pops out a fake tooth to reveal a lockpick. He frees himself from his bonds and heads to the nearest phone. He calls Wildebeest and is like, Hey, I got kidnapped by the Titans and I'm in their headquarters right now. Wildebeest is like, Yeah, yeah, enough about you. Here's what I want. Hack into their computers and tell me all their secrets. Do you think you can handle that, you stupid little idiot who I'm going to betray as soon as it's convenient? Wait. Did I say that part out loud? Good! Fuck you! Now are you gonna do what I say? Not really a people person, are you, Wildebeest? Gizmo hangs up on his horn-headed head honcho, and is like, Screw that guy, I quit. I think maybe I'll be a good guy now. I'm gonna go to Star Labs and see if they'll give me a job. I know I tried to help conquer the world a couple of times, but I'm a pretty good scientist. Gee, I don't know, Gizmo. A government-funded science agency looking the other way and hiring a former war criminal to help them with their, oh, I don't know, space program? Sounds pretty far-fetched. Even for a comic book. Back at Wildebeest headquarters, the antlered asshole-in-chief is having a little chat with Mother Mayhem. Mayhem is like, What do you want with me and my baby? Wildebeest is like, Huh? Oh, nothing, I guess. Mayhem is like, then why did you spend months undercover as my doctor just to kidnap me? Wildebeest replies, No reason. See, I wanted to make the Titans think I had a plot and that there was some reason that I was busting crooks out of prison to form the Gnu crew. But really, I was just doing random things that kind of seemed like a plot. That kind of thing drives people nuts. You don't say. Mayhem is like, So you don't have a complicated scheme? Wildebeest is like, Oh, sure I do. 
Part of it is, I wanted to study the Titans and see how they fought the GNU crew. But the rest is either so clever or so simple that it is totally impossible for anyone to figure out. So if anyone has been paying attention to what I've been doing and trying to make sense of it, it would have been a complete waste of time. Mayhem is like, Wow, sounds like following your recent exploits would be a pretty frustrating and unsatisfying experience. Wildebeest is like, Oh, absolutely. I haven't given anyone enough clues or context to form anything approaching a coherent narrative. Pretty evil, huh? Yes, yes it is. Meanwhile, in another part of the city, the Titans have finally caught up to Disruptor and Tyne and are beating the shit out of them. Jericho hops into Disruptor's body and is about to use it to attack Tyne, but the dad-disappointing delinquent pipes up and is like, Tyne, Jericho is driving me around right now. If you don't blast the shit out of me with your magic fork, he'll use my body to beat you up. Kill me if you have to. Tyne is like, okie dokie, and readies a blast. But then Nightwing and Cyborg punch and kick him. Vic grabs the magic fork away from the utensil-themed crook and flings it out of reach. Hooray! Great job, guys. Together, you managed to barely defeat one-third of a minor villain. Jericho is still wearing Disruptor like a cheap suit. He's not an immediate threat, but Joey's power is about to wear off, at which point the gang figures the father-fixated felon will use his nebulous disruption powers on them, which is a pain in the ass. Danny is like, Hey, he gets his ill-defined abilities from his costume, right? The gang points out that Danny is, as he always is, 100% correct. So the Cousin Oliver of Crime Fighters uses his telekinesis to shred the Disruptor suit, resulting for the second time this issue in a member of the GNU crew standing around in their underpants. Starfire, Donna, and Raven try their hands at some mild sexual harassment, but they're no Beast Boy. Starfire tells the underdressed outlaw that he has a nice tush, but he's facing her at the time, so maybe tush means something different on Tamaran. The Titans drag their prisoners back to the tower, and are only mildly surprised to find out that Gizmo has escaped. They interrogate Tyne and Disruptor. Tyne refuses to cooperate, but Disruptor caves pretty quickly and agrees to tell the gang what little he knows. Nightwing calls Star Labs to let them know that they're about to locate Mother Mayhem. Dr. Ellis, who is secretly wildebeest in disguise, is in a meeting with Dr. Sarah Charles, Vic's maybe ex-girlfriend? when the FaceTime call goes through. The faux physician is like, Oh, closing in on Wildebeest, are you? Well, good for you. Just make sure you get Mother Mayhem back to us soon. I haven't been able to examine her since she got snatched an indeterminate amount of comic book time ago, but I can somehow tell that she's about to give birth any minute now, and will require a C-section. Dick is like, Oh, okay, good to know. Then a bunch of shit happens in rapid succession. Gizmo pops into the room and announces he wants to turn himself in. He recognizes Wildebeest, Dr. Ellis disguise, and tries to warn the Titans, but Ellis slash Wildebeest whips out a gun, shoots the would-be defector, and takes Dr. Charles hostage. Raven teleports the Titans to Star Labs, and Starfire manages to zap Wildebeest with her magic space fire and free Sarah from his clutches. Wildebeest flees and the Titans give chase. Starfire is about to catch up to the hooved Havoc Reeker, but then he pushes a button on a remote control and blows up a couple floors of the building. Despite this seemingly disproportionate attempt at distraction, Beast Boy and Danny Chase are still hot on Wildebeest's tail, but before either one of them can grab him by his dorsal mane, he turns around and shoots Beast Boy. 
Hooray! Sorry. Danny is like, Oh no, I don't want to let the bad guy get away, but I also don't want to let Beast Boy die. Oh wait, never mind. I'm Danny fucking Chase. I don't need to do either. I'll just pull out one of these tracking devices that I apparently keep inside of this gadget-filled watch that I guess I've always had and use my telekinesis to stick it onto Wildebeest's back. Then we can track him down later and I can still get Beast Boy to a doctor in time to save him. If I can't find one, I'm probably a fully trained and certified doctor too, but I'll try to hold off on revealing that for a couple more issues if I can. The Titans get Gar the medical attention he needs and get everyone else in the building to safety as well. Raven's about to heal up Gizmo when the injured inventor is like, Wait, before I pass out from the pain, I want to tell you where Wildebeest's secret lair is. Danny is like, Oh, that's okay. I put a tracker on him. You guys can just let Gizmo die if you want. I have the same info he does. Over Danny's objections, the gang decides to save Gizmo's life anyway. Back at his hidden base, Wildebeest brags to Mother Mayhem. He's like, Excellent. The Titans are about to bust in here and free you and force me to abandon all the technology here. Just like I want them to do for some reason. Everything is going according to my evil plan, which isn't really a plan at all, unless it is. I'm going to plant a bomb on my way out, but you and the Titans will all survive it, because that's part of the plan too. Unless you die, in which case that would also be part of my plan. Okay, bye! A few seconds later, the Titans arrive. Raven teleports everyone to safety seconds before the bomb detonates. Hooray! A short while later, back at one of the non-exploded Star Labs hospital rooms, Mother Mayhem gives birth to a healthy baby girl. Instantly reformed by the magic of maternity, the formerly murderous priestess thanks the Titans for rescuing her, and informs them that since her baby is female, there is no way she will grow up to inherit her father's powers and use them for evil. The curse of brother blood is over. Good to know. The end. Unless it's just part of my evil plan to make you think that the synopsis is over. But not really is. Unless it isn't. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm a little bit tipsy right now. Yep. Corey was good enough to bring over a three-pack of whiskey in honor of the fact that we are recording this on Father's Day, and we are the proud fathers of this podcast. Never calls, it never writes, but... We brought it into this world, and it's our responsibility. Yep. That was pretty good whiskey. Not bad. Other than that, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Like you said, it's Father's Day, and I know it's a, a holiday that's a, a hard one for a lot of people out mm -hmm. there, and also a really pleasant one for a lot of other people, and I'm fortunate to be in that latter category and had a nice visit with my dad, talked about bikes, and uh, gave him a funny card of... Here's a responsible way to light a campfire, and here's you blowing a lit fart into a campfire. Oh, very and nice. I'm sure he loved that. He loved it. Jim thinks that farts are funnier than any human being who I have ever met. And I've met myself, so that's saying something. <laughs> yep. I'm also doing okay. I have been visiting the local video rental store lately, which... I know it's not an option for people in a lot of the country, but there are some great video rental stores in Portland. So 
That was fun. I had to rent a Scooby-Doo slash WWF cartoon for a podcast that is going to be available for our Patreon donors soon. And because I was renting that video, I also had to rent some Akira Kurosawa movies. So, as, as one does. Yeah, you got to balance it. It's like uh, when you go to the drugstore and you're like, um, yeah, um, I'm going to need a pack of gum and uh, carrots and uh, some condoms. Mm-hmm. And it's like that, but, you know, with a Scooby-Doo wrestling cartoon. Sure. Yeah. Which I think, honestly, they both have probably prevented the same amount of people from getting pregnant. <laughs> Did you get a uh, a subtle nod of approval from the rental clerk? Oh yeah, yeah. No, okay. it was it was a well balanced uh, viewing meal. That's that feels good, right? That's what you're always looking validation for. validation of strangers. Yeah, exactly. That is what I am constantly looking for. Corey, we've met, and you are aware of the fact that I have a podcast, right? <laughs> Five stars. Thank you. But that trip to the video store sparked renting a bunch of other classy movies to counterbalance mm -hmm. that rental in the eyes of the video store people. Mm -hmm. And so I've been watching some old Bogart movies and stuff, and it's been really nice. Nice. It's been a long time since I've seen an old movie. It's a fun time. Well, good. And I thought I had something to say. I don't. That's okay. Yeah, we had some whiskey. That's true. Now we're having some beer. Yay. And now we're talking about a comic book. Yay. Corey, <laughs> what did you think of this comic book? Oh, it was fine, I guess. Yeah. Like, it wasn't bad. Mm. Was it? I don't think it was bad. It was incredibly frustrating to me, especially on the first read-through. So my process, just for a little peek behind the sausage factory into the alley... <laughs> That's, where we throw that, out yeah. old sausage parts. That's, because, the, that's the expression. Yeah, we don't pay the sanitation workers because that's an extra bill. And, you know, the sausage factory isn't doing great these days. I usually read the comic book three times. I read it through once just to get a general reaction to it. And then I read it again to take notes. And then I read it again to get the minutia segments. The first time, I was angry. The second time, I was like, mm, it's not quite as bad as I remember it from the first time, but I'm still pretty pissed off. And by the third time, I was like, okay, this isn't that bad. Was what made you angry on the first read the fact that it seemed as though it was setting up an explanation for everything Wildebeest had done in preparation for the culmination of the story arc, but it didn't? Yes. Okay. That was my there, issue with it. There were two main sources of frustration. That was the main one. And as a secondary source of frustration, I was very angry that I disliked Danny Chase so much that I was rooting for Beast Boy. <laughs> I didn't like being put in that position. Uh -huh. But as for the first source of frustration, I feel like the previous issue was spent with Marv Wolfman getting out all the pieces for the mousetrap board game. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. And then also getting out some pieces from other board games and being like, and I'm going to connect them to this complicated Rube Goldberg device of the mousetrap board game. Mm -hmm. And then this issue was somebody saying, hey, I think that one part's from Candyland, that other one's from Monopoly. And so he's like, oh, okay, well, I'll put those to the side. And then somebody points out, don't you need the instructions to this mousetrap game? And he's like, no, I'll figure it out. And then by the end of the comic, he's like, well... There's no time to figure it out, so we, we gotta go. Let's just put the game away. Uh, I'll 
find the instructions next time. And he's not going to find the instructions next time. That's a good analogy. Thank you. It's very much like that. It was just really frustrating to me. Because, yes, the whole last issue was him setting up an elaborate Rube Goldberg device with surprising components to it. And the whole tension that's created is, well, how do all of these pieces fit together? And in this issue, it's just, oh, well, it turns out they don't. So the motivation behind all of it is so he can beat the Titans because he's really mad at them or something. Yeah. And in order to do that, he really needs to see how they work together. And that's why he did all this stuff to see how they work together, but also to mess with them because they're thinking so hard about this complicated, what is, what is Wildebeest doing? Yeah, jokes on them because what I'm doing doesn't make any sense. And that's the whole point, which is just so narratively unsatisfying and also does not seem intentional. Like, it seems like, oh, I'll figure out what the complicated plot for this villain is later. And then, mm, you know what? I can't figure it out. So his whole plot was that his complicated plot didn't make any sense. That'll show the Titans. Okay, so I'm not missing. I Sometimes when I read things like that, I get mad at myself because I'm like, there's something... Like, he even talks about the the Perloin letter. He references the mm-hmm. Poe story. And I was like, okay, hidden in plain sight. What the fuck am I missing? Yeah. I don't think you were missing anything. If you were, I'm missing it too. It's intensely frustrating. The introducing of Mother Mayhem to this plotline doesn't make any sense. The book also clearly forgot that he had introduced Puppet Master. Puppeteer. Sorry. Puppet Man. Whatever. What was he? What was his name? The Puppet Master, was it? It's Puppeteer. Puppet Puppeteer. Master is the Marvel one. Okay, okay. Yeah, I did like the, the little acknowledgement of that where in one panel... Uh, what's his name? Trident? Yeah. I was like, hey, what happened to the puppeteer? Because I was like, whatever. Yeah, maybe they killed him. I don't fucking know. I don't care. That's it. Yeah, that is the resolution of why puppeteer was brought into this. And why were thunder and lightning brought into the last issue either? It seems like that was building towards something. And no, just, uh, you know, whoever we had that wasn't being used at the time from our backstories, we'll just throw into this story. And if really all that the Wildebeest was doing was seeing how these pieces fit together and wanting to see the Titans in action, I would kind of buy that. I wouldn't be thrilled about it, but I would be like, okay, not the best story, not really satisfying, but okay. But the fact that they also had him go through the majority of his plan of busting Mother Mayhem out of a high-security prison and having there be what does he want with this pregnant woman or possibly her baby or whatever, and that it turns out nothing. That that is completely unconnected to anything and that there's no motivation behind that was just like, oh, fuck you. There was all that stuff going on, and then there was also, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but this, like, moral argument of... If you're bad enough, you don't get a redemption. Where in in two parts it showed up. One, when they're interrogating, again, one of these like total throwaway scenes Mm -hmm. where Raven's interrogating this guy who said he knew Wildebeest at the police station. Yeah. It just turned out he was like a really bad dude who like hurt all these people. And she's like, oh, I can fix him. And the cops were like, nope. Right. That was one. And then the other one was Gizmo. Like he starts to have this kind of redemption arc. I think he gets his redemption arc. Do you think he survives? Yeah, I do. I think Raven saves him at the end. It looked like he was going to die, but I think he survives. Oh, good. I kind of like this idea of him just being like, I really just wanted to invent things. Yeah. 
No, I liked that too. I liked Gizmo in this issue a lot. His characterization, as was the entire Gnu Cruise characterization, was incredibly inconsistent throughout the course of the issue. But I don't care. I like Gizmo. He's kind of funny. I want to see him do good. Also, I don't think this is a timestamp, so we can maybe talk about it now. But it's just, it is a minutia-ish kind of thing. And that is that I feel like a youngish James Dyson vacuum cleaner inventor was reading this comic book because that device that Gizmo uses to vacuum the jewels out of the safe looks a lot like the Dyson animal, that oh. fancy handheld vacuum cleaner that Dyson makes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Is the Dyson vacuum cleaner inventor the same guy that invented the Dyson sphere as a theoretical concept? I don't know what that is. It's a giant greenhouse that would surround a star that is like a thing that you see in like speculative fiction stuff oh geez i hope so because those vacuums are pretty great and maybe he can pull it off i would like to believe so that sounds neat yeah i live in a giant greenhouse surrounding a star like one of those terrariums that people make where you just put the cork in and forget about it and it keeps going yep nice so good vacuums good theoretical space constructs mediocre comic mentioned the throwaway scene with the villain that Raven's interrogating. Mm -hmm. I gotta say, the public defender's reaction to Raven potentially using her powers on the guy, at first I was like, oh, that's bullshit. They should heal him up and make him better. But I think his reaction makes a ton of sense. If my client was suspected of some petty crimes, which it seems like basically is what this guy was doing. I don't know why anybody believed him that he was working with Wildebeest, because it seems like the biggest level thing he was involved in was a mugging. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a series of muggings, but still, why would anybody believe him that he was friends with a supervillain? If that was my client, and a superhero came in and was working with the police, and was like, oh, let me help this guy by using magic powers to alter his brain and make him be a good boy from now on, I'd be like, fuck no. Like, the state doesn't have a great track record of that shit. Like, oh, we'll lobotomize your client, but it'll be for his own good and he'll be happier. I'd be like, no, no, you won't. Bye. Yeah, that's a good point. The other thing that was a little weird about that was, like, she was saying, oh, he's in so much pain. And normally, I feel like they do a little more backstory, like that person's in pain because something bad happened to them. And this didn't show that at all. It just showed him starting at, I don't know, age 12, like beating up other kids with baseball bats and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, no. Seems like kind of a jerk. That was one of the notes that I had written down was just like, oh, he suffered from the trauma of beating up a kid with a baseball bat for reading comic books. What pain and trauma is that? Uh, uh, did he get a splinter? Was he holding the <laughs> bat wrong? That poor boy. Yeah. It was a weird scene. It was, and I think that was probably a miscommunication between the art team and the writer, I would hope, because mm -hmm. that would have made so much more sense if you showed him in the position of maybe getting hit with a bat, because it is describing, like, oh, he had a life of pain and trauma. And yeah, that might lead to some of those behaviors, but I don't know, if you're going to show the cycle of violence... You need to show the cycle. You can't just show the infinite line of violence heading in one direction. Exactly. We talked about the fact that I found this issue pretty frustrating. I just looked at my notes. 
the first note that I have written down is middle finger and fart noise. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. So let's talk about the character arcs of the various members of the GNU crew. You get Gizmo. We talked about the fact that he does have kind of redemptive arc. I don't think it ends in his death. I think Raven heals him up at that point and they get him to another doctor. But in this issue, he shows up, wants to just vacuum some jewels out of stuff with his fancy Dyson, mm -hmm. gets caught by Beast Boy, gets bonked on the head by a bear. Mm -hmm. Pretty cute. It is pretty cute. Gets taken into custody, escapes, then defects, mm -hmm. then gets shot, then reforms. Yep. So that's his shit. He's like, ah, I used to be a scientist. I only became a criminal because I couldn't get funding. It's a real Ghostbusters story. <laughs> Wait, what crimes did the Ghostbusters do? A lot against the EPA. They were in violation of EPA rules. And those are real laws, Corey. That's why they got locked up. It also caused a whole generation of kids, me included, to think having an unregistered nuclear device on your back would be pretty cool. Agreed. And Gizmo didn't do anything nearly that bad. That's true. Okay, good point. Then we get Disruptor. Mm -hmm. His arc was perhaps the most schizophrenic of them. Mostly, he had a lot of sad dad thoughts. Mm -hmm. Appropriate for this holiday. Mm -hmm. I, I was rereading this on Father's Day. It was like, all right, dad stuff. I get it. Uh -huh. Then he is super loyal to his criminal team to the point where he's like, no, Jericho's inside me. The only way you're going to defeat me and stop me from hurting you you need to knock me out or potentially kill me so that I don't hurt you, stranger who I don't get along with particularly well. Then Danny shreds his uniform. Mm -hmm. Then the girls mildly sexually harass him, but they're bad at it. Mm -hmm. Then they take him into custody, and suddenly he goes from being super loyal to the bad guys to being not loyal at all to the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And then he turns informant. Yeah, and also says, I just want to go back to jail. Poor guy. Man. Then we get Trident, who has the opposite arc of Disruptor, where he starts off not being loyal at all. He's like, man, can't wait till this is over so that I can murder Gizmo the way I murdered my last crime partner. Fuck all these guys. I'm just going to steal the money and run away with it. Mm -hmm. Oh, he also reveals that he used to be a Golden Gloves boxing champion, mm -hmm. which is the most character development we have gotten out of this guy, period. Then after he's caught, when... Disruptor starts turning state's evidence. He's like, fuck you, how dare you be disloyal? I'll murder you. It was so confusing. There was no reasoning behind it. It would have made so much more sense to flop those characters. Except that I guess we're supposed to sympathize with Michael because his dad was an asshole. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I kind of did. Plus he had like a fun 80s protagonist haircut. Like bad quasi-mullet. Yeah, I felt like he laid the dad stuff on a little too thick. He had a lot of sad dad thoughts. Every panel. Every panel where you saw any of his internal thoughts, it was just like, I'll punch this guy. That'll show my dad. <laughs> my dad said I would never beat up a Teen Titan, and now look at me, beating up a Teen Titan. How about that, dad? <laughs> my dad wouldn't want me to go to jail. I'm going to jail. Exactly. It was a bit much. And then we get the final member of the GNU crew, the puppeteer. Who just disappears. Maybe he was murdered. Maybe he wasn't. Lending credence to the theory that he was murdered, I think this might be his last appearance in a DC comic book. Well, Wildebeest just... Just ate him or whatever. Yeah, didn't like him. I don't fucking know. Mm. Probably creeped out by those puppets. Understandably so. Yeah. Ugh. 
I'm not saying you should murder ventriloquists. No, no, no. Nobody's saying that. I'm just saying that's likely what happened to him. All right. It seemed like you were advocating for the murder of ventriloquists. Oh, never. Manslaughter? Uh, no, that's bad. That's a bad one, too. Okay. <laughs> Results in death. Okay. Yeah, right? Just, just checking. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But it's not premeditated. I still don't advocate for accidental killing of a ventriloquist. Okay. Is your eye okay? I noticed you kept winking when you were saying that. I did like when they were questioning the bad guys that they had captive, when Dick basically did the best version of good cop, bad cop that the Titans have ever pulled off, and was like, I think Starfire might eat you if you don't talk. He describes her as like, I'll try to do my best, but uh, you know how flesh-eating aliens are. And it's one of the few times you see people reference that they might be afraid of Starfire because she is a very powerful space alien. And I kind of enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. It was fun. Yeah, same. Same here. That was some of the best uh, team dynamics that uh, I feel like we got in this issue. Mm -hmm. The rest of what we saw from Starfire and Nightwing wasn't, frankly, all that much. In the last issue, Nightwing had suggested that they split into three teams to start a three-pronged assault, perhaps inspired by Trident, on the GNU crew. And so Beast Boy, Cyborg, and Danny Chase were going to fight the GNU crew. Mm -hmm. Raven and Jericho were going to go hang out at the police station and try to see if they can figure out anything from that end. And we see them doing that in this issue with their trying to question a guy who had nothing to do with Wildebeest after all. Mm -hmm. And Nightwing and Starfire and Wonder Girl we're going to go undercover. When we meet them in this, there's no reference of them doing any kind of undercover work at all. Which, I mean, makes sense because it seems like Starfire is almost uniquely ill-suited for that task. Right. But there's no mention of what they were trying to do. Do you think that Dick just says he's going undercover whenever he's like, eh, I just want a break? That's a good strategy. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't make heads or tails of that sequence. So they go visit the police uh, captain or It's Captain Hall. He's showed up in the Teen Titans pages before. Generally, if he is there, he is the only adult in the room. He is the only person who is acting reasonably. We saw the most of him during Dick's ill-fated friendship with World's Worst District Attorney Adrian Chase. Boo. Well, and that is not unconnected to this scene. Captain Hall is in the hospital because he has been shot. Guess who shot him, Corey? World's worst DA? Yup. Ah, God, I hate that guy. Well, I'm not going to say good news, but you don't need to worry about him anymore. This is a tie-in to issue 50 of Vigilante, which is where Captain Hall got hurt. I can't believe Vigilante went more than 50 issues, but it sure did. Hmm. Captain Hall was shot in the pages of Vigilante by Adrian Chase, and then Adrian Chase suicided. Whoa, that's dark. Yeah, super dark. There were a series of different vigilantes, and it was after he had kind of reformed and turned into a judge, which we saw in these pages, and then he went back to being vigilante and was becoming increasingly violent, and then uh, felt real bad about shooting the police chief, which he should, because Captain Hall seems like a decent guy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that is what that whole scene is tied into, but it had nothing to do with this story. No, nothing. nothing whatsoever. And it doesn't seem to tie in later. I think part of the reason why this story feels disjointed is the proposed timeline 
for these comics was thrown off at some point. It's discussed in the letters column. I don't know if you caught this, but back in issue 39, there was a blurb that said, in issue 40, we're going to see the return of Godiva and the introduction of Danny Chase as a team member. That was the story that we were supposed to get in issue 40. Then there were some last minute tweaks they wanted to make to the storyline. So we're going to get that story in issue 44. And I think things just got jumbled and we're going to have just some fill-in issues until we get to that point and then maybe after that. But this was set up as though it was part of a larger arc that was going to make sense and we're going to establish Wildebeest as like a big deal villain and it just doesn't accomplish anything, I feel like. I know it's silly of me to want to put this on Wildebeest rather than Wolfman, but <laughs> this is kind of how I'm leaning. No, I know what you mean. Because he really does lean so hard on the all part of my plan button when no it fucking isn't not only is it not part of your plan but you don't have a fucking plan uh-huh your plan began and ended at i'll put on some fun costumes and i feel like we as the readers are <laughs> it's like wildebeest is the one who's making all this confusion happen i guess you're right i do not like him i guess maybe it's really good writing <laughs> We hate the villain. Yeah. Great job, Marv Wolfman. Well done, Marv. But I do really like the idea of Nightwing just being like, sorry guys, I need to go undercover for a couple of hours. Hey, Starfire, you want to go see a movie? I love the scene after they visit the cop that got shot, and they're just basically in the hospital cafeteria, sitting around in their costumes, having mm -hmm. coffee. Yeah. Like, no big deal. Uh, I believe Starfire's drinking a diet soda. Mm-hmm. My favorite parts of any of these issues are superheroes doing civilian things. And I think that's when this title works best, is when it humanizes and grounds its characters in that way. And frankly, there's not nearly enough of that. Let's check in on how your relationship with Danny Chase is progressing. Uh, you started off, I think, liking him more than I did. We both tried to give him a fair shake. You succeeded for at least the course of one issue. I failed after a few panels. How are you liking Danny? I don't like him. I'm annoyed at how effective he is. Which, like, if I'm being an objective judge of superhero prowess, I gotta give him props. As a character, he's annoying as hell. Yeah, they can't let him fail at anything. Even when he has that moment that could be a character-building moment where he decides to rescue Beast Boy instead of catching Wildebeest, they have him, oh, but he's able to plant a tracking device on Wildebeest, so he doesn't sacrifice anything at all by doing that. He just does a 100% great job. It's very low stakes. Yeah. I will say, it did seem like a real dick move when Gizmo is like, well, I can tell you where to find him. And Danny seems to be like, no, fuck him. Let him die. I put a tracker on him. So you don't need to save this guy. I know. Raven or Wonder or somebody steps in. It's like, hey, dude, when somebody's trying to help you, just maybe let him help. Yeah, that was what Raven did. And that is as close to a rebuke as he has gotten in his, like, what has it been? A hundred issues he's appeared in? Feels like it. But it I really think it's does. three. God, is it only three? It's three or four, I think. I think four. Yeah. yeah, 40, 41, 42 at the annual. Yeah, so 400. So yeah, 400 issues. <laughs> the chase multiplier. 
I found him incredibly frustrating. And like I said, I was so angry that I was annoyed enough with him that I found myself rooting for Beast Boy in their rivalry. And I was like, wait, no, don't make me cheer for Beast Boy. But I found myself doing it. Did you at all? Oh, yeah, totally. And I don't know if we discussed it on the show, but sometimes I find myself, you know, 400 issues in thinking, <laughs> gosh, should Danny replace Beast Boy as worst? But I don't think we can because he's so perfect. You know? I think at least we don't have a big enough sample size at this point. But in terms of me hating him the most, I think he might be replacing Beast Boy as Beast Boy replaced Speedy. Yeah, well, let's give it another 100 okay. issues, and then okay. we can see how we feel. I think that's fair. There was a weird moment where Beast Boy said that he couldn't carry Gizmo back to the Titan Tower. It led to some fun shenanigans with him having to catch a cab while dressed up like a bear, which was fun. That was my favorite part of the entire comic book was the one panel <laughs> where the cab driver says, but you're a bear. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, I really enjoyed that scene. But I got to say, pretty inconsistent with what we've seen in the past because we have seen Beast Boy carry Cyborg around a whole bunch of times. How fucking heavy is Gizmo? He also could have turned into a horse and carried him around that way. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that maybe he was nervous with this responsibility. I actually had a, I felt bad for him a little bit because it's like all of a sudden he's on his own. Mm -hmm. All the Titans are gone. They're like, you have to take this pretty smart criminal back by yourself, secure him and interrogate him. And he's just like, I don't even know how to get this dude across town. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that. And it made me feel for Beast Boy as well, especially because Gizmo is like the best at escaping that they've encountered, I would say. Mm -hmm. Or at least up there. And, you know, that comes to fruition later when, as soon as Beast Boy leaves the room, he's like, okay, well, pop out this fake tooth, undo my locks, call Wildebeest, Wildebeest wants me to do something, fuck you, Wildebeest, mm -hmm. bye. That was another thing about Wildebeest that bugged me in this issue. He somehow was such a master detector of phone tone that he was like, well, Gizmo's defected. Well, I mean, Gizmo hung up on him when... He asked Gizmo to do something. Well, he didn't say, I defect. No, but when he's like, okay, here's what I want you to do. Click. Okay. I mean, I, I think it's reasonable for him to have extrapolated Shit. that maybe this person is annoyed with. So me. I should stop doing that when I'm annoyed with people at work. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times they think you've quit your job. How often have you encountered that? Oh, never, because later I'm just like, oh, sorry, I had a connection issue. Oh, well, there you go. Maybe Gizmo could play that off later. Mm. I mean, he doesn't get the chance to because he shows up in the Star Labs and sees the doctor disguise and is like, wait a minute. Which means that that guy was wearing the doctor disguise in the secret headquarters. He's really paranoid about people knowing what he really looks like. But I guess to the extent that he's wearing masks on masks on masks all the time like he's a Russian nesting doll. Mm-hmm. That's got to be uncomfortable. Maybe that's why he's such a jerk. Oh, could be. Well, Corey, was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we get into the minutiae? I do have one other little thing that I want to bring up. Just that we were promised a creepy baby with pink arms strangling Beast Boy on the cover. And mm. I know we don't often get what's on the cover in the issues, but that was kind of a letdown. 
how shocked everyone on the cover looks really does seem to be playing into the idea of a a g -g -g girl. Oh, uh, yeah. Also, when the baby's born, Mother Mayhem says, It's a girl. The curse of brother blood is over. Now, Corey, I don't know about you, but I think that a woman is just as capable of creepily licking blood off of shit and murdering her dad as a man is. Yeah. Women have to creepily lick blood off of stuff and murder their dad backwards in high heels for the same pay. Seriously, though, why, does, why is the curse over just because the baby's a girl? Has there been any indication that the brother blood power set is linked to masculinity in any way? Not unless all those brothers had sisters, or all those kids had sisters, and we just never heard about them in the comic, and they're basing it on that. But my assumption is, no, it's just regular sexism. Yeah, it, se it seems like that. The only other thing I wanted to note before it's we get It's brother blood hub, okay? Oh, right. The only other thing I wanted to mention before we get into the minutiae is there's a sound effect that says crab-boom, and I gotta say that sounds delicious. I would have some crab-booms. Oh, like a crab-rangoon, but even... But, big. like, spicy. Ooh. Doesn't that sound good? That sounds delicious. Mmm, crab-booms. Yum. Rick, would you mind singing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what do you feel like uh, starting off with? Let's start with, sartorially speaking, this was unusually challenging for me. Normally, I feel like I have to edit myself a lot on this one, and this one I actually I feel like I was struggling a little bit. I found two things that I noticed. The more subtle of the two is Wildebeest's keyboard eyeballs. <laughs> the eyes of his wildebeest costume it seems like perhaps inspired by novelty ties of the mid to late 80s are shaped like little keyboards and i had never noticed that before it may not have been done before it is especially noticeable in one silhouette that is just a close-up of them but i was like oh that's fun he's got little keytars over his face it does look like that yeah good call so yeah speaking of ties i don't recall if this is standard costume but danny chase is sporting a very 80s skinny white tie on a black button-up shirt yes it is a good look for him i do not like danny chase i do like how he dresses he dresses like a cool new wave lesbian and it is a good look for him <laughs> like the shag haircut the skinny white tie over a black shirt with a bomber jacket and a pair of jeans mm -hmm. it's a solid look Pretty good. I could see Annie Potts playing a queer-coded character who dressed like that in a late 80s, early 90s film. Mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a really solid look for him. Good job, Danny Chase, in that one and that one regard only. Yeah, my only uh, follow-up to that was uh, a new take on the Chippendales get-up with a disruptor after Danny blasts his clothing off, except for his drawers and mm -hmm. his cuffs. I was going to bring this up in the timestamp section as well, but are you familiar with the story of the founder of Chippendales? I can't say that I am. I don't remember his name, but he founded the company in, I think, 79, like started getting super popular, and then there started being some copycat chains that would show up around the city, 
and he paid people to burn those down. Whoa. He hired a hitman to murder his choreographer and a few of his business partners. That was in 1987 that that happened, that those murders happened. He wasn't caught until 93, and then he actually suicided in prison. Whoa. Yeah. Bonkers. That's a heck of a story. Apparently they've made a couple movies of it. I've never heard of that, and I did not know that until I tried to look up what year Chippendales happened, because I thought it might be a timestamp. But I was like, whoa, what the hell? Yeah, that's unexpected. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it. Mm, good segue to timestamp. Sounds like one. What timestamps were you able to find in this issue? I didn't look it up, but I figured Chippendales was an 80s thing. So yeah. So I put it down. Good call. I think I was first introduced to the concept from the Saturday Night Live sketch with Patrick Swayze and Chris Farley. Mm-hmm. That was 1990, but I think Chippendales was at the height of its popularity around then. Mm-hmm. So solid late 80s reference nice i had another one which is the scene that we already talked about a little bit when gizmo calls wildebeest and uh they're both using 80s phones with the cords on them despite being surrounded by amazing technology from the future there was another incongruity in terms of the level of technology that people had access to and that was at the very end the fact that it was a surprise to star labs who had been doing medical tests on mother mayhem this whole time and had had her in their custody that her child was female at birth well they could have known and she just asked not to be told which would be really surprising it really would be but maybe i guess but i think that is kind of a timestamp because By the mid-80s, that was when ultrasound technology first started being commonly used to determine gender of a child before birth. Mm. Ultrasound technology started in, like, I think it's late 50s, and then they started using it for various tests on a fairly regular basis in the 70s, but it wasn't honed enough that you could see, like, fetal genitals Mm -hmm. until the mid-80s, and that's when they started doing it regularly. I think if you were pregnant at that time and were planning on giving birth in a hospital, you'd be like, oh, they could have found that out. But if you weren't, it wasn't part of like the national consciousness, I think, that, well, that's how that process goes. Right. So, yeah, I think that counts as a timestamp. That's fair. This one was a little more of a stretch because I don't know the chronology of it, but I remember watching, as a younger kid, but they were on reruns, a lot of the Warner Brothers stuff with the Roadrunner and the Coyote. Yeah. And we do see Beast Boy, after he really ineffectively tries to secure Gizmo, turns into a Roadrunner and runs off and says, meet me. That was pretty fun. Yeah. I feel like the Roadrunner Coyote cartoons were on, like, that. that's like a solid 40-year stretch that that could have taken part in. Oh, nice. So we can just... Yeah, that's a constant time. Good time. Anytime they show up. Yeah. Corey, every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and a Beast Boy, the second worst of Teen Titans. (laughs) For now, still the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who did you have as your Beast Boy, and who did you have as your Aqualad? As my Beast Boy, I went with Beast Boy. He basically had one important job to do, which was to take somebody he knows is really good at escaping and secure their hands so they can't get to all their Mm -hmm. gizmos to escape, and he Instead, took his socks off and was like, that'll be fine. Yeah. So, bad job 
also, despite that I was tickled by the whole sequence, I think hailing a cab as an eight-foot-tall grizzly bear is kind of a dick move to the cab driver. Yeah, probably not the easiest thing to do either. Yeah, just be Beast Boy. Like, everybody knows you. He's pretty famous. So I had him for those reasons. I think that's a fair choice. I had Cyborg for a couple of reasons. This is First future of all, editor after Hub he pointing out that past Trident's recording Trident, was in fact the way he not disposes of so it irresponsible. He just throws it as hard as he can and doesn't pay any attention to where it goes. That could very easily kill somebody, destroy a lot of property, at the very least fall into the hands of somebody who decides to use it to become a supervillain. That is not how you dispose of a weapon. I have that in my notes. I wrote irresponsible with an exclamation point. Mm -hmm. It's very disappointing. We actually had a, a mutual friend who their five-year-old found a gun in the bushes recently. Whoa. A loaded gun, Whoa. in fact. Yeah. Sheesh. Terrifying. And possibly the result of an irresponsible act like Cyborg's. Hmm. So the only thing that potentially mitigates that is he did pull out a jackknife. And, like, I don't know, he scratched up the trident real good before he hurled it over into the city? I don't know. I don't think he had a jackknife. I know the scene you're talking about. I think that is part of the trident. Oh, cyborg. Yeah, in that scene you're talking about, I think that's the tip of the trident. He's just grabbing it there. Oh, he's, like, wiggling it. So, I don't know, maybe he bent, he bent the prongs before he threw it into Brooklyn. Or oh, yeah, well, then it can't possibly hurt anyone. Right. Good job, buddy. Yeah, that rankled me as well. In addition to that, Danny Chase is at one point stopping shards of glass from falling on any citizens. Cyborg knows that Danny, even with his amazing, remarkable telekinetic powers, cannot hold that up forever. So he's like, okay, these shards of glass are going to fall on people. Don't worry, Danny. I'll make it so that they won't hurt anyone by melting them. Yeah, they'll just be engulfed with melting glass now. Yeah, problem solved. Good job. What the fuck, Vic? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, that one, I gave him the benefit of the doubt that the glass will cool really quickly, so people will just get, like, pelted with sharp marbles. <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed like a weird move all around. Maybe he meant he was going to evaporate them. It was inconsistent with Danny's powers, too, because they said that it was challenging for him to levitate something over, like, a wide area. But I was like, didn't he, like, when he was introduced, hold up an entire rocket ship? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That seems dumb that, like, some broken glass was hard for him. But then also in the last issue, he had difficulty levitating a cage of spiders because it was in a room away from him. So, really inconsistent power set. It can do whatever it needs to do. Fine. Yep. Conversely, for my Aqualad, I had Nightwing for being good at taking sneak vacations <laughs> and for being a good bad cop, good cop role player there. I thought that was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, he was uh, also an effective delegator. Mm-hmm. Good leadership. Although we found out in the last issue some of his delegation is just so that he can take a little vacation and sit this one out. I do like the fact that he included Wonder Girl in that because he knows, you know, she needs a break from Terry Long. Yeah, good on him. He was a strong contender. I'm glad you're sitting down because I went with Danny Chase. I didn't want to. I know. But he was the most effective. I know. I was trying to figure out a way to give him the Beast Boy, and I, I couldn't quite justify it. But, oh, I hate that Danny Chase. Yeah, oh, I don't like him. But he did the best job in terms of just overall superhero effectiveness in this comic. Except for when he was like, 
no, I put a tracer on that guy, so we should let this other guy who's trying to reform, we should just let him die. We don't need him. That was implied. He didn't say all of those He words. said it. I'm pretty sure I'm quoting it verbatim. <laughs> I'm a special boy. Let the little bearded man die. I don't like him either, but mm. he did a good job. He did a good job dressing kind of like Andy Potts. I'll give him that. Nice tie. Well, Corey, I think it's time for a battle of the band names. Wow. Yeah, something else being there in person for it. Yeah. Imagine how I feel. I'm always in the same room as this voice. <laughs> oh, man. In last week's contest, we saw I Am The Thunder defend their title against the incompetent reggae-influenced college rock <laughs> of stupefaction. Surprising. I know. In this issue, were you able to find a band name that you feel good putting up against I Am The Thunder? I found a couple. I don't know how good I feel about them, but... Well, let's they'll, find they'll out. Give it a shot. I also had a couple. What's your, what's your first one? So, we already talked about it a little bit, but it's from the good cop, bad cop scene. And mm -hmm. uh, this is an outfit. I think both my bands are like punk rock bands this time around. And this one is the Flesh Eating Aliens. Ooh, Flesh-Eating Aliens is good. Mm. That is a very solid punk rock band name. I like that. Thank you. My first option is... I wasn't sure what genre of music they were, but honestly, I think they're kind of try-hard gangster rap. <laughs> like, they're not really tough people, but they're trying a little bit too hard to sound like N.W.A. Mm -hmm. And they are called Blamo City. <laughs> Like, maybe more along the... In the same vein as Onyx, but if they all came from, like, really solid middle-class homes. Mm -hmm. So that's Blamo City. <laughs> the solidly middle-class, try-hard gangster rap. Okay. The other option that I had was Bloodchild, which is from the cover. Mm -hmm. I think I might be influenced by some of the band names of our youth in New Hampshire. There was a <laughs> New Hampshire funk band called Groove Child. And so I am seeing Blood Child as being kind of a New Hampshire goth funk. Oh, God. <laughs> that sounds so bad. But doesn't that sound like what Blood Child would be? Yeah. Groove Child was pretty good. No, Groove Blood, Child. Blood Child, I don't know if I would go see them at the stone church or a similar <laughs> venue they'd have at least a few shows at the mob they'd yeah. probably be playing on the same bill as the choosy moms i'd be there to see the choosy moms i'd end up seeing blood child open for them i'd be probably a little bit unimpressed but i would see them next week when they were playing with uh heavens to murgatroyd or <laughs> fly spinach fly oh my gosh or uh, you got any other New Hampshire band pulls from that era. Uh, thanks to Gravity. Thanks to Gravity. Doesn't really fit. But... No, I I still have one of their albums. Okay. But yeah, that's what I think Blood Child is. I can't remember any other bands from that era. Moon Boot Lover? Oh, fuck. Blood Child would absolutely play with Moon Boot Lover. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to be smirch Moon Boot Lover. I don't actually remember their music, but I do remember seeing that name on flyers. Mm. Oh, it's a cool name. Yeah. And I think I probably did see them share a bill with the Choosy Moms. I would almost guarantee it. It seems likely. Well, early to mid-90s New Hampshire funk bands aside, <laughs> Did you have another band name? I did. The other uh, punk rock bill is the Stinking Wimps. Ooh, Stinking Wimps is good. 
there are a bunch of bands that I can see them playing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Weaklings, mm-hmm. perhaps. Oh, yeah. But local favorite punk mm-hmm. band. I used to work in a bar owned by the bass player of that band. Oh, I didn't know he was the bass player. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Stinking Wimps is not bad. I think I slightly prefer Flesh-Eating Aliens. Nostalgia makes me kind of want to vote for Blood Child, but I think that probably Flesh-Eating Aliens is a better band. Um, how, how are you leaning on this? This is up against I Am the Thunder. Yeah. Yeah, I think we gotta bring something a little heavy to probably a Flesh-Eating Alien is yeah, the way to go. I think you're right. I think Blood Child is going to be stuck there, third on the bill behind Heavens to Murgatroyd. And, uh... I think the name is tough, but the style is just <laughs> not going to work. Corey, New Hampshire is known for their burgeoning goth funk scene. I can't even... I don't want to imagine. <laughs> All right. We're not going with Blood Child. Flesh-eating aliens it is. Yeah. Sounds good. They're definitely more Boston or New York than, than oh, New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. They definitely have a more metropolitan vibe to mm-hmm. them. I would say, my guess is, honestly, they are from, like, the early 80s West Coast punk scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, they would play with, like, the germs. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. All right. Corey, I think it's time we took this party to the Bozo. What instance of one character calling another character a Bozo either literally or metaphorically, do you want to highlight? Well... That's like a real barge. Corey, get that barge out of the comic book room. I can't. Oh, how did you even get it in here? Nobody knows. Triple Natty B. Yeah. Rarely have we seen that in recent years. I feel like we used to get Triple Nat Bs all the time. Nightwing says it once with a rare Natty B out of out of Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. Beast Boy. Mm-hmm. Who's the third one? I think I had Beast Boy. Is it twice. Beast Boy twice? Yeah. They're all pretty clumped together too. It's all between like pages like sixteen and like nineteen, something like that. Eleven, twelve, and seventeen. <laughs> I was pretty close. Pretty much. Yeah, I'm good at math. Yeah. Well, that's why I, I brought the boat in. Not because you're good at math, just because the triple. Yeah, no, that's fair. It's a big event. Yeah, you gotta haul all those bozos out of here. Yeah. Yeah, pretty impressive. Did you make note of any characters calling each other bozos metaphorically rather than literally? Yeah. One of the GNU crew, I can't remember which, said that they were gonna throw a bearded shrimp on the Barbie. That would be Trident, yes. Yeah. And uh, I don't like the, the little person insulting, but he does have a beard and... That's true. I actually couldn't... It was so out of context for me, like... Just the phrase bearded shrimp, did it seem like it was, like, a sexual thing? No, I I thought it was an Australian thing, (laughs) because he said on the Barbie. And I was like, wait, have I been not reading this guy with the right accent the whole time? Oh, God, you know, that is a possible timestamp, actually. Just the idea of shrimp on the Barbie being a cultural universal. This would have coincided with the rise in popularity of America's brief obsession with Australia mm-hmm. when you had the uh, Crocodile Dundee of course mm-hmm. you had Jocko doing Duracell ads mm-hmm. and you had Outback. Yahoo Serious oh, yeah. the Out- Outback yeah. Steakhouse Young too. Einstein. Yeah. yeah Young Einstein later Reckless Kelly underrated film in my opinion mm. but yeah bearded shrimp on the barbie <laughs> oh, sounds weird that would be like a hairy tiny dick right <laughs> Yep. I guess so. Yeah. 
So yeah, I noticed that insult. I also did want to highlight when Danny Chase calls Beast Boy guacamole breath. Mm-hmm. I had that too. He has that as an insult. Doesn't seem like that's much of an insult. I feel like guacamole has a fairly mild flavor. I don't think you would notice it as much on someone's breath. Also, he just seems to be saying, you're green, so probably it's because you ate a lot of guacamole. Does he think Beast Boy is a flamingo? That's not how that works. No, I it was just a green thing. Okay. Salad head. Sure. Guacamole breath. Mm. Mold head. He calls somebody else. He calls Wildebeest beast breath, too. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of creepily obsessed with people's breath. He really smell. is. Yeah. Get over it, Danny Chase. Stop being such a weirdo. Yeah, you're the fucking worst. Nice outfit, though. Mm. Corey, what was your favorite panel? I had a couple. I think probably my favorite is on page eight. I called it Flying Titans. Mm. And it's got the whole city really crisply rendered in the background. And uh, it shows me that Dick is getting used to being dragged through the air by the hand by Starfire. Because he mm-hmm. actually looks like he's doing it pretty well. Yeah, he's, well, I mean, he is an aerialist. He's, he's a trained acrobat, so he would be used to that kind of aerodynamic type thing. But yeah, they're doing the thing, instead of her doing the Superman carry of him where he's cradled in her arms... She's doing the Superman from the first movie thing, where he and Lois Lane are flying around the city, Peter Pan style. And it's, it's, a ni- it's nice. And it really underscores how strong Starfire is. I had to carry a, a sleepy four-year-old from a yard to a car Oof. the other day. Man, I almost put my back out. Yeah. Yeah, they're like cats, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so imagine a Dick Grayson <laughs> in the sky. God. I'd rather not. A lot of work. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Okay, Dick Grayson doesn't look sullen in that when he's nursing his cup of coffee. It's probably not his birthday. No. Okay. No, we'd know. Maybe that was why he wanted the day off, though. Mm, could be. It might be his birthday. It might have been. I can see it being a year since his last acknowledged birthday. That seems like that was a while ago, right? So maybe he's a multi-dimensional character. He can drink coffee on his birthday sullenly or not. Wow. He's really growing up. Oh, yeah. I think my favorite panel, I had a couple to choose from. The art in this issue is very solid. Running out of things to say about the art team, it is once again Eduardo Barreto and Romeo Tingal. They do a great job. Next issue, we're going to get a different guest penciler. It's going to be Kurt Swan, who, best known as a Superman artist, one of the most prolific Superman artists. We saw his work forever ago, back in, I think, the fifth issue of the first New Teen Titans series. But we haven't seen him since, so that'll be interesting. But yeah, Barreto and Tangal do a great job with the art. Amongst my favorite panels are page two, the panel I call Dad Thoughts, <laughs> where the disruptor is having weaponized dad thoughts radiate explosively out of his brain. He's thinking, he always said I'd never amount to anything. He said I'd always be a failure. Well, let him see me now. And yeah, just like, rays of light are shooting out of his head as he is using his powers to electrocute Cyborg. Yeah, my note to myself on that one said, geez, Disruptor, happy Father's Day to you too. Mm -hmm. The other one that I really liked is a scene that has come up before, but I called it Flesh-Eating Alien, and it is Starfire intimidating Trident and Disruptor when they are taken hostage. And the way she's leaning in and the Kirby crackle is coming out of her fingertips. Her hands are engulfed in this 
pink nonsense bubbly energy shit she looks genuinely intimidating and it is the panel after that when dick's like yeah i'll try to stop her from eating you guys but we'll see yeah no it's well rendered it is that would be scary Mm -hmm. and yeah it makes the dialogue make more sense which is nice Mm -hmm. and i think that's probably my favorite although i did also like the dad thoughts Well, Corey, I have one more question I gotta ask you. In the arbitrarily determined year of our Lord, 1989, and the month of our Lord, July, what was Aqualad probably up to, Corey? Wapoot! Aqualad is chilling out. Aqualad is living high on the hog. Aqualad is happy because he finally got the comeuppance he had been hoping for after all those years ago when he had made a bet against Aquaman on the Wimbledon match Mm. and lost and had to scrub the whole dome over Atlantis. He bet again, and he was successful. Wait, wait, wait. Aquaman put money on Stefan Edberg? No, this was the match between Steffi Graf and Martina Navratilova. Oh, okay. And Graf was victorious per Aqualad's choice. I think he had bet on her previously, and yeah. that was how things went south for him. But, uh, yeah, that's really the size of it. And uh, Aquaman is really pretty pissed off out there yeah. scrubbing the dome. Well, In that's fact, what you get. I think he scrubbed so angrily that there were some pretty strange weather events. We had uh, later in the month a uh, record low in Arizona. And uh, also somewhere in West Virginia, record rainfall. Like, there was some weird stuff going on. And this is from how frantically the King of the Seas was scrubbing the dome? Mm -hmm. Angry scrubbing. Yeah, messed up the whole El Ninos and all of that. Oh, boy. Maybe made some little, uh, like, whirlpools underwater, whole butterfly effect situation. Yeah, exactly. You know, meteorologic stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know all about meteorologics. It's a hard word to say. Yeah, no, I I got, like, five Doppler 8s. It's like a Doppler 40. That's a lot of Dopplers. Yeah, I know. Okay. You guys should see Hub's face. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Corey's trying to act like I don't know uh, that 40's a lot of Dopplers. I, I know. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. I forgive you. Thank you. Dopplers. Dopplers. Well, Corey, that may be one thing that Aqualad's up to, but other than that, closer to the end of the month, What Aqualad's doing is making a buttload of pancakes. (laughs) He is hanging out in Washington, D.C. and just flipping those flapjacks. Hmm. See, he got a call from Wonder Girl, and Wonder Girl was very, very excited. She's like, hey, there's a thing I really want to check out that's going to be happening in D.C. in a little bit. Do you want to meet me down there? And here is where their connection kind of was... a little bit bad on their phone. Because what Aqualad heard was, I'm really excited to see some maple syrup. But she said it with kind of a and kind of a weird tone of voice. So he's like, oh, is she doing a bit? I mean, I love maple syrup. I remember when Wally used to chug that stuff, just nostalgia, mm-hmm. good times. Yeah, I would I would be stoked to to check out some maple syrup with my good friend Wonder Girl. So he goes to Washington, DC, and he just starts making flapjacks. And Wonder Girl shows up. She's like, what's with all the pancakes? He's like, you said you wanted to 
have some uh, maple syrup. You, you had kind of a lisp, which you don't normally have. And she's like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, you said like, you know, maple syrup. She's like, I said Mapplethorpe. We're going to go to the Robert Mapplethorpe exhibit. I'm a professional photographer. He's one of my idols. <laughs> and so uh, Aqualad's like, well, you know, you know, you can say maple syrup however you want, Wonder Girl. I'm just going to enjoy these flapjacks. And so that was how Aqualad found himself wandering around the Project for the Arts in Washington, D.C. on July 20th. Had a good time, looked at some great pictures, and just found himself wandering around, eating flapjacks, and looking at pictures of dongs. And he's like, you know what? These are some pretty good pictures of dongs. And some pretty good flapjacks. They could use a little bit more maple syrup, though. <laughs> and that is what Aqualad was probably up to in July of 1989. What a month. Indeed. Syrup, tennis, pictures of dongs. What a month. <laughs> <laughs> well, Corey, thank you so much for joining us. I had a great time talking about this comic book that made me very angry. You're welcome. Me too. Good. And we will be back next week to find out what is going on with the Defenders and how they will deal with the aftermath of the Six-Fingered Hand. Mm. Looking forward to it. In the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. Or, as this is the future, we can be reached electronically at ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also up in several places on the World Wide Web in the form of socials media. You can find us up there on the Twitter, the Tumblr, the uh, MySpace, the... Uh, mm -mm. Um, we took the MySpace down. Oh, right, right, right. Because of copyrights? Mm-hmm. That was it. So, you can't find us there, but, you know, we're obviously still up on Friendster. And hey, if you can't find us there, there's one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. We'll be in there. We always have been. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? Oh, probably some responsible whiskey tasting. Mmm. I wonder what that's like. I'll we, let you know. We were fairly responsible in our whiskey tasting prior to this show. Relatively. I guess you guys will be the judge of how responsible we were. I'm feeling pretty coherent, Corey. <laughs> well, let me know after you've edited. This is Future Editor Hub pointing out that Past Recording Hub was in fact not pretty coherent. And I will be listening to the musical stylings of Bloodchild, <laughs> the fictional New Hampshire goth funk band. What do you think their first single's called? Um, Maple Thurup? Blood on the Moon. There's got to be a song called Blood on the Moon already. Well, you can have the same song. Nope, you get in trouble, don't you? If it's I don't, I don't know. know how that works. I don't either. There's not enough song names for them all to be unique. Yeah, you can, I feel like there's got to be more than one song called Yesterday, right? Right. Okay, so stay tuned and check out our top hit, Beethoven's Ninth. By Blood Child. By Blood Child. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. Oh, every time you say it, your voice just gets worse? No, just the you... idea of what they sound oh, okay. like. Okay. Because well, you've I... now added classical music on top of funk and goth. 
Well, and you introduced the fact that their lead singer sounds like the guy from Venom. I couldn't help it. I understand. Anyway, that's what we're going to be doing in your heart this week. Blood on the moon. It's a bit strong for you. If you would like to support the show, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material, including the monthly podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. And also, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, upcoming crossover podcast that I'll be doing with my friend Megan Bob from Next Wrestling Fan, who is also one of the writers on Garden Plots with Skeletor with me. We will be discussing the Scooby-Doo WWE crossover Curse of the Speed Demon. And I, we had so much fun talking about it, but that, uh, that podcast will be available for our donors coming up pretty soon. There are also a whole bunch of video reviews of classic comic books that I've made that are up there, and there's just a bunch of content. So if you'd like access to that, or if you just want to support the show and make sure that we're able to keep doing it, I certainly appreciate that, and you can do that by checking us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you would like to support the show in a non-monetary way, well, shucks, I think that's nice too. Corey, what's the way people can do that? Um, two main ways that I can think of are leaving reviews and places reviews can be left mm -hmm. and talking to people. Yeah. Electronically or in person. Like, so by talking to people electronically, do you mean using some kind of a uh, vocorder or like the thing that, what's the guy from Humble Pie? Peter uh, Frampton. Megaphone. Megaphone. Is it from Humble Pie? Uh, Talkbox? Yeah, Talkbox. Yeah. Is that, is that what you mean by talking to people electronically? I meant more like you'd send them a tweet. Okay. No, that's a good idea, too. I was just thinking you were saying that people should be like, Have you heard tighten up the defense? I think you can do that without a Talkbox these days with those, um, what are like those things? Like auto-tune? Yeah, auto-tune things. It's, I don't know how auto-tune works. But... T-Pain could maybe help talk to people electronically and recommend our show. Yeah, so if you are listening, give us a shout-out. Yeah, I mean, honestly, T-Pain, if you're listening, I know that you can support us financially as well. You're doing okay for yourself. So you could check us out on Patreon. But it's not an either-or thing. You can also give us a shout-out. That's, yeah. So come on, T-Pain. <laughs> Go with the program. You're making all Doritos commercials and shit, but you can't give us a shout-out, even though you listen to the show every day. At least kick down some Doritos. Yeah, Doritos are delicious. Doritos, if you are listening, <laughs> send us your chips. Yeah, and try speaking through a vocorder. Yep. Or a talk box. Yep. So those are a couple ways mm -hmm. people can help. That sounds fun. What would be an example of a review someone might leave of us? Say your tea pain. And you love the show. Of course T-Pain loves the show. Uh-huh. Listens to it every day. Uh-huh. Um, he, he listens to it at speed and a half, which, frankly, I don't recommend. But, you know, he's T-Pain. He's a busy man. And he's got, like, a lot of show to, to work through. Because he started more recently. Right. That's why he's able to listen to it every day. But it's been, like, a few, solid month of him listening to, like, three episodes a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would say something like... This podcast is my bag of cool ranch Doritos. Extra large. Five stars. Mm -hmm. But he'd say it through auto-tune, probably. Yeah, I can't do the he, no, thing. Uh, 
I'll I'll put it in in post. Okay. I won't put it in in post. I don't know how to do that. You should auto tune that. That would. Be... Oh man, that would be pretty cool. It's probably not that hard. Oh, go for it, dude. Here's <laughs> <laughs> the technical whiz. I'm not. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, until next week. Kraboom. Mmm. Crabooms. Gotta crab them all. Yep. Boy, they have a terrible slogan. <laughs> all right, I'm going to go drink some more whiskey. Bye. Bye. Bye.